I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. This week, we're discussing the representation of women in local government and whether opinion on Brexit is shifting in leave areas. I'm Progress Deputy Editor Connor Pope, and I'm joined by my colleagues Katie Curtis and Waltham Forest Council Leader Claire Coghill. Claire, you're cabinet in Waltham Forest is uh, gender balanced. From your experience, how common is that in local government? I think in London, there are some, well, I think most cabinets are gender balanced. But when I've been at conferences and spoken to other Labour leader colleagues, Mm. I've realised that it's not actually really the norm, which I found quite surprising, actually, because if you're not bringing women into the centre, and you're not bringing women into the cabinet, then surely you're missing out on talent. And you're certainly missing out on an opportunity to be as representative as possible. Mm. So, I mean, there's clearly a really, really long way to go, because if you don't have gender balanced cabinets, then women are just not going to have enough experience and frankly, enough confidence to decide that when the leadership role comes up or the deputy leadership role comes up to say, right, I'm going to put myself forward. And I was really fortunate because I had the experience of having had the Children, Young People's Portfolio and the Regen portfolio when the leadership of my council came up but had I not had that experience I don't think I'd have been comfortable putting myself forward. There are proposals at the moment to change the Labour Party rules so that local members would directly elect council leaders rather than the current system where councillors have their own vote and, and, and they choose it. Do you think that would make it more difficult to get women in these roles? I absolutely think it would make it more difficult. There's a reason why the party still has all women shortlists in place to get women selected for parliamentary seats. And obviously that originally was only supposed to be in place for 10 years and has had to be extended. And when we do see seats come up that are not AWS, Mm -hmm. we predominantly see men selected for those positions. So what we see, unfortunately, is when Labour Party members are given a free choice, they tend, it seems, to err on the side of supporting men rather than women. Now, that might be because also fewer women put themselves forward, but I don't see that the proposed changes would make that easier and make Mm -hmm. make it easier for really, really good, strong women to come forward. Katie, you've 
stood in quite a few elections. I think we were saying you've lost 14 elections. I've lost 14 elections <laughs> since 2003. How many of them, because presumably some of those are student elections and some of them are no, real No, that ones. was that, town council, borough council, county council, European and parliamentary. So you've gone through quite a few selection campaigns then. <laughs> Do you think that would make a difference? How, were any of yours all women shortlist or did you? No, no. Obviously the European was a list and mm. that had quotas because that was a 50-50 um, right, okay. and the list was um, selected after the sitting MEP, uh, male, uh, female, male, female, male. Mm. Uh, and that obviously works, but that would only work on a, a regional basis or when you was electing through uh, that kind of electoral system. Um, and you see that in the Welsh Assembly on the lists and the list seats uh, where they have a 50-50 selection. Mm. The problem is that you could, you see all the time the fact that, so if you take 1997 to now, it's totally flatlined. So in that time from 1997 to 2017, women as councillors, the number of women councillors has flatlined. So it's basically, really? it was about 28% in 1997. It's about 32% now. So that's absolutely flatlined. Oh, if you sure. take parliamentary representation where women, from women um, MPs in, elected in 97 to now, which is 120 to up to 208, mm. that's a 70% increase. So where you have got the all women shortlist and the and the quota systems mm. you can see where it's worked and women's representation has still not 50 percent which it should be at but it's certainly in parliament has increased mm. we haven't had that in local government and that's that's pretty shocking that's really interesting i'd not realized that about uh, the local councillors actually and so obviously recently we've got more directly elected mayors in the country currently labor only has one directly elected mayor roxana fias in Newham. But for these selection campaigns, for the, the Metro mayors in particular, we can't legally uh, have all women shortlist. Do you think there are concrete steps that we can take to make sure that we get better women representation in these roles? Yeah, it's really difficult because um, I think it has to start really where women come along to meetings and they feel welcome. You know, I remember my first Labour Party meeting and I wasn't made to feel terribly mm. welcome. The rules feel prescriptive and unnecessary debates, particularly where they become heated and border on aggressive. You know, I've seen women come and go, particularly in recent years, come to one meeting and disappear. In my experience, really solid people who want to get stuff done in politics don't come along to have, um, you know, don't give up cold Monday nights to have loads of aggro. You know, they want to have more constructive discussions than that. And I think until we've got something more constructive right at that level, it will be really, really hard to make change. And I, th and I think one of the things is that you'll see that a man stands because he wants to, a woman normally stands because she's been asked to. And I, and I, think, that's, and I think that's very telling, uh, even within the Labour Party. And I think what's really important is these sort of networks and mentoring where sort of those informal structures already exist uh, for, for men and we need to replicate them a, a little bit for, for women. But People like Claire are are the people that now we can look to and say that women can do this. They can run large local authorities and 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 they need to be able to see to do that. But there's still so many barriers for women just to be councillors mm. before it is to take on one of these leadership roles. And 
no doubt that someone who is a Metro Mayor is someone who has held a, a position before, whether that be an MP, an MEP, Police and Crime Commissioner, or a, a, council, a Cabinet member of the Council. Now, Claire pointed out that most of the majority of the, the sort of the big roles, the big portfolios within a, a local authority are going to the men. So whether that be finance, whether that be regeneration, housing, those sort of things go to go to men and and that's why they they're seen as the automatic um choices to mm. go on to be and of course the irony is the the, uh, the portfolios that are traditionally seen as those that are more suited to women and that women often making get tea. offered yeah so once you've graduated from making tea you might be put in, put in charge of adult services or children's services the reality is that's where councils spend all their money the huge risk, the life and death risk that councils deal with and the massive sums of money are concentrated in the children and adults' portfolios. Um, and I just hope that more and more women who have those jobs understand the deep significance of them and that that demonstrates their ability to manage budgets effectively, scrutinise officers really effectively, and that that's a great platform to challenge for leadership. And I mean, as the Labour Party, we may, we should be making the moral case for gender balanced cabinets and for more women to have leadership roles. Right? Councils have a big part on everybody's lives in this country. They spend every year, and it's getting less every year, I appreciate, but every year they're spending lots of taxpayers' money. And these decisions should be being made by the people who are affected by them. And, and women are affected by a lot of these decisions, but are dispropor- the, the um, decisions are made disproportionately by, by men. Absolutely. And so that we so we need to do something. We need to be making that moral case as the Labour Party and certainly be the ones pushing for the change in legislation to allow quotas uh, in the Metro Mayors. Claire, you mentioned a kind of toxic culture around a lot of Labour Party meetings at the moment. I think we saw quite a bit of that early this year around um, Claire Cober, who is the leader of Haringey Council and Labour's most senior female local government figure in the country before she stepped down just a few months ago. Obviously, you're a council leader in, in North London and, and Katie, you live in Haringey. How bad do you think this type of debate and culture is getting and um, is, it, is it becoming more widespread? I think one of the key challenges is that when people can't even begin to acknowledge that there might be some misogyny mm. informing A, their position and B, the way they respond to an individual, I put up a, a just a little Facebook message about after I'd seen abuse directed at Claire after she decided to stand down, just saying, you know, this is a really difficult situation because we've got women who are going to be standing for council election for the first time all over the country. And they're seeing a very senior female councillor being abused basically mm. online, not by everybody, but by some people. And that my suggestion, which I think is entirely valid, is that some women would see that as profoundly off-putting. You know, I had women in my, who are now in my group who were standing for the first time, um, who were staggered by the aggression uh, behind all of that. And the, one of the points I made was that we've only got 17% of Labour leaders in the country are women. That's mm. one seven. That's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> And if you're therefore going to target one of our most senior female council leaders, then it would be wise, particularly if you're a man and you're attacking her politics, to make sure that that's what you're doing. But it just got 
profoundly toxic. And then my little message up on Facebook meant that I was on the end of a torrent of abuse, <laughs> predominantly from, you know, from, from men uh, in, in the area and a little bit further afield, which kind of, you know, sadly proved the point. But we do need to have more sophisticated debates about issues rather than focused on individuals because it becomes very hostile, aggressive space for anybody, not least of all women. There does seem to be, I think, especially in the Labour Party, if you, if you kind of begin with an a priori belief that, uh, you know, I am anti-sexist, uh, you know, and I'm against racism or anything like that, then you suddenly believe that then I cannot be guilty of doing that. And that does seem to slightly contradict what I think most of us believe in, which is that there are structures in society that mean that sexism and racism are kind of completely entrenched in society. And that means that we all do and are guilty of it at some point. And kind of trying to split those things mm, definitely. up a bit is, is, is a bit of a, a problem. But. And when men reply to these messages, they don't realise what privilege they have before they start replying to those messages. Mm. And I think the problem, we've seen all problems on social media, as, as Claire said, that the fact that we all use social media so much more now, you've seen the abuse more prevalent and the fact that anonymous abuse is so much more prevalent so you can't sort of reply you can't you couldn't complain about someone like you could in a CLP meeting for instance but um I went to school with Claire Cover, so I did a thread once about how about her as a person and the amount of abuse that got on Twitter and it was all gendered abuse mm. why doesn't she stay at home with her children if you're saying she's a good mother she should spend more time and also that sort of thing but people who would say like you've said I'm, I stand up for women's rights. Mm. I'm a feminist. Might have femi hashtag feminist in their, yeah. in, in their Twitter bios. And we just, we just need to make sure we enforce the rules at, at local CLP levels. And also councils have a responsibility to, to train and to help women councillors and candidates during election of how, so what the, the, the legal, uh, ramifications there are of some of this mm. harassment they they get online and we've seen it across all like we've seen the abuse that people like diane abbott get that luciana mm. berg get and now local authority women are, are are getting and that's that's really worrying and, and as i say you, you live in the borough and you know you go to plenty of labor party meetings um Not did it did it did it spill out into the meetings oh certainly i before before we got to a point where we knew that the Deselections would be happening, and mm. uh, and and people were going to be uh, targeted uh, at at the trigger meetings. Um, I'd been at a couple of um, G uh, general committee meetings, and Claire would come and give a report, and and the undertones to that were very nasty. And again, as someone who was her friend, that's very yeah. very hard to watch. But it's very clear that these people think they are doing it from a political perspective. They think this is about policy, but actually the terms and the language they use is so gendered, it does it is misogynist. And they can't see that a lot of the time. Mm. And I think there's just this really basic grip about what councils can and can't do. So we have to pass legal budgets or the Secretary of State, uh, in this case, James Brokenshire, comes in, brings, well, he doesn't come in, he sends his officials in all the councillors are effectively removed and then civil servants decide what your budgets are. There's no such thing as an illegal budget. There's no such thing as a needs-based budget. They just don't exist. You can't put them in place. 
Um, and trying to explain that to people is really problematic. And trying to explain to people that what you're doing, even as a Labour leader, is operating within the parameters that have been set by a Conservative government, and that to do anything other than to operate within those parameters would break the law is a real challenge. So if you t- if you add up everything that's been taken out of my budget since 2010 by the coalition and this government, we've had half a billion pounds taken away. And I'm very proud of the fact that we've continued to provide library services and our social services have gone from strength to strength. But there's no point shouting at sitting councillors or sitting council leaders who you think are making the wrong decisions when we simply do not have the resources required. And that's going to require a Labour government. We need to take a short break there, but next we'll be talking about the shift in opinion in the country over Brexit. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My name is Mary Wimbury. I'm standing for Labour's National Executive Committee. Along with my fellow centre-left candidates for the NEC, I'm campaigning for Labour Party members to have a say on Brexit at Labour Party conference. Last year, a stitch-up kept Brexit off the conference agenda. At Scottish Labour conference, the same happened. This year, Labour members must debate the biggest issue facing the country. Sign up to our campaign now at laboursay.eu. Thank you. Over the weekend, new polling showed that over 100 constituencies that voted leave now would have a Remain majority. Now, all three of us, I think, are from seats that did vote leave in 2016. Do you guys see a shift in in the country in this opinion? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I've just been back at my um, my mum's this weekend in, in Birmingham and I was talking about it with friends and you can you can definitely feel the shift. I think people are starting to feel really frightened, actually, because there was no proposition on the ballot that said we will wander into the wilderness with no deal available to us and with no trade deals mm. in place for Britain with anywhere else in the world. And I think that is absolutely terrifying for people. And the reality is the less well off you are, the more frightening that is. Mm. 
I mean, it will surprise people to hear that I'm from Essex, but um, certainly uh, looking at the uh, the information that's come out the weekend, a lot of the Essex seats have even small, in some places, small swings, but swings yeah. from leave to remain. The constituency I grew up in, Castle Point, had a 73% leave uh, vote at the um at the referendum and that's gone gone down to in this lo- latest polling to about 66 percent but i know I, I have no doubts that those 73 percent of people who voted leave didn't vote to be poorer yeah they didn't vote to stockpile food not at all they certainly didn't f- vote an aging population as they are in that constituency mm. didn't vote to not know where their next lot of medication is going to come from yep. and or how their local authority is going to afford their care as they get older uh, because of they've got no money left and mm. I certainly know that from a fact from talking to my parents neighbours that they none of them voted to for a no deal absolutely yeah I hope not hate produced a map of all of these um, theoretical swings which is interactive you can click on any seat in the country <laughs> brilliant Katie I know that you were pouring over it fell down the rabbit hole <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I noticed that uh, South End West Chelmsford and Colchester and Essex uh, all went from leave to remain uh, Blackburn where I'm from um, went from leave to remain and there was four seats in Birmingham what, what, what I found quite interesting actually anecdotally is actually I had quite a few friends who were my age uh, mid to late 20s who voted leave back home which I think is a very people tend to find it unusual they see it as mm. completely an age gap but actually people like that I feel have been slightly removed from this conversation slightly mm. that actually you wouldn't have had this without Still, you know, I know the majority of young people did vote to stay in, but actually quite a lot of them still didn't. And there isn't much interrogation of of why that is so much, because they're not harking back to the 70s mm. or the 50s. They have no mm. interest in that. They they just have other concerns. And I found anecdotally that actually it's them more than the older people that I knew who have voted leave who've been changing their minds. And I'd be quite interested to see if there's any shift in in that kind of uh, I mean we don't mm. we don't need a big shift for there to mm. have been a change in what that result was and certainly if there was a, another vote at some point um we're not going there's not going to be many minds that need changing um and so looking at this this for somebody who believes we should have a, a vote on the final deal mm. looking at this um data is really heartening uh, to see that it is only certain people who can afford to have the country leave mm. without a deal. Claire, on the back of the local elections this year, you wrote a piece for Progress magazine um, about the need to recognise that policies and arguments that work in London don't mm. necessarily hit home in the rest of the country. Mm. There was um, a particular bit that I, th- I thought was really good. You, you wrote, uh, I moved from the Midlands to London for the opportunities this city offers its residents. But why do people like me move and what opportunities are open to those who remain outside of London. The capitalists in the bulk of United Kingdom's public and private investment ploughed into its economy, infrastructure, culture, schools and healthcare and offers the chance to thrive. But what about the places that are left behind? How do you think that we improve in the Labour Party specifically our ability to reach out to these um, you know, so-called left behind places? Mm. I think it's really important for um, for the Labour Party more generally to be outward looking and we really have to work hard not to be London centric. 
Um, I say that as someone who is an adopted daughter of London. I love London. We genuinely are the greatest city on earth. But we must now make sure that we've got a network of cities across the country that we can really cooperate with and work with effectively. Um, and we can share some of that, uh, some of that progress right across mm. the country because not everybody wants to live here. Not everybody can live here. And if other cities aren't um, a strong proposition, then the pressure on London's resources will simply just grow and grow. I think that, well, when I go home um, to the Midlands and when I was in Birmingham at the weekend, what you see is, you know, I get, I get home not as often as I'd like, but you see development sites where nothing's happened, mm. you know, and you think, gosh, that's been like that about three years now. And that's on top of a station that's next to a new development next to a university. And you think, well, it's already stalled. You know, other parts of the country stalled a couple of years ago before Brexit. Um, was even talked about. So I think that's what's going to be really, really challenging. Um, but, you know, it's that point about just having 17% of female council leaders. To what extent are, to what extent is the Labour Party genuinely a forum where people of all backgrounds, all faiths can come together and have really meaningful ideas about what's going on in the community? And to what extent is the Labour Party a forum where motions are debated meetings are held in a really exclusive way that doesn't promote debate that doesn't promote reaching out and listening to the community and what is the damage that does to the Labour Party but also to our chances to really support local communities. I think the challenge for the Labour Party is just how popular we are becoming in large cities and so our, our votes in the election last year in a lot of the large cities, whether it'll be Manchester, whether it be Bristol, whether it'll be London, our votes went up. And I think the challenge is to not forget those towns and countrysides mm. and like where I'm from, the seasides, the, uh, the coastal areas. And I think that's certainly a challenge. And, and, I, and I wouldn't want to get to a point where the Labour Party is seen as just a city centric, mm. not just even a Labour city centric uh, I think party, that's so, but a it's so important because you see some of the majorities just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it feels like gilding the lily. Now in my patch, we're definitely, the fight is on to take out Ian Duncan Smith. That would not have an impact on whether we're a Labour held council or not, but that's not gilding the lily. But when we don't hold all sorts of councils outside um, of London and where that means that we are massively damaging our chances of winning parliamentary seats because we don't have councillors on the ground we don't have motivated organized activists on the ground that becomes a massive massive issue in terms of building towards a parliamentary majority and also what do we have to offer the people who live in these places absolutely like we we seem like we've got stuff to offer the people who live in this city but 32 miles east of here in thurrock the people even last year didn't see that we had anything to offer them. Uh, and, and and I think that's what we, we need to start formulating. Definitely. Definitely. I, I think, was Thurrock one of the, in, in the in this polling, was was that one of the flipped seats? Yeah, that, no, no, it didn't it flip. But there was, there was about an 8% um, difference. And you're, this is a seat that's quite recently where UKIP have yeah, <laughs> from the council. So, so that was really interesting, I, I, I think, on this. And... and if if we were to have a people's vote on the final Brexit deal, that would kind of turbocharge the need to be able to speak out to these places, wouldn't it? Because if if we're not going to be able to convince places like Thurrock to uh, vote for whatever we would 
uh, be asking for inner mm. people's vote, presumably, uh, I would be guessing, um, to remain in, at least in the short term. Does that does that kind of force our hand a bit? Like, mm. if, we, if we're talking about the need to make sure that there is a people's vote, does that kind of l- overlook the problem that uh, if we don't work out how to speak out to these places, then... Yeah, definitely. And one of the great things about a people's vote, um, which I'm massively in favour of, is that it opens up a wider political discussion about mm. lots of the really positive stuff that's included in the um, 2017 manifesto. Um, I reread the manifesto because I had a day off and I was <laughs> sitting in my, in my garden. And I thought, what better way to spend a relaxing afternoon than, than, than rereading it and, and reflecting on it? Um, and there's some very, very powerful stuff in there. We need to work out how we make it relevant to people living on not much money in Dudley for us to be pushing to nationalise the water industry, mm. for example. Because at the moment, what we're not saying to them is that they're going to get all the money going back into their local council nearly 450 children's centres have closed up and down the country. And I think the intention is that some money will go back into children's centres, but the core of the 2.5 billion that Labour's promised, I'm assuming will go into acute children's social care, i.e. life and death stuff involving social workers. And I think it would be, a, a people's vote would be a wonderful opportunity to really crispen up the edges of stuff that's mm. in the manifesto and test how meaningful it is to people and therefore use that as an opportunity to build towards a really great manifesto for next time we have a general election. And let's face it, a no-deal Brexit will impact communities all over this country as much as Thatcher's policies did in the 80s. And so it would be remiss of us as socialists, as Labour Party members, not to be saying that we have to do something to stop a no-deal Brexit. And if a people's vote is the thing that we need to do, then the people's vote is the thing we need to do. And actually, like Claire has said, to deliver all those great things, I mean, we need to we need to stop a no-deal Brexit and then we need to elect a, mm. a Labour government. Mm. Uh, and I think and I think that's really, really important. And certainly, um, I think if you are against austerity, if you are for people's rights, if you are for workers' rights, if you are for uh, an, an economy that works for everybody, then there is no way that you should be sitting back and not saying that what's happening with the, with the Tories and, and Brexit needs to stop mm. and we need to do something else. And I think I completely agree with all of that. I think the reference to Thatcher's Britain and the devastating impact, particularly outside of London, is really, really powerful. Um, I think it's how we take uh, we take that opportunity, the, 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 the shortening opportunity. We, we're getting down to a matter of weeks before conference. Uh, we're getting down to a matter of months before the end of uh, March. I think something that'd be really helpful to see us do as a party is to start to articulate the type of reform that we would like to see um, in Europe if we're to remain. I think Mm. the deficit that's talked about in terms of the political mandate that the European Commission clearly doesn't have because it's made up of unelected people. I think that's a a huge issue and how we um, strengthen the the hands of MEPs and other political decision makers and um, individual countries. Uh, to show more leadership in Europe would be really powerful. But it's what does a socialist version of that look like? And for our front bench to be setting out what that looks like would be great. One of the reasons we're told that we we can't debate this, we can't talk about it, that we we wouldn't talk about it for the third time at conference this year is because of how many Leave voters there are in Labour in Labour held seats. And actually this this new data from Hope Not Hate actually knocks all that into a cricket hat, right? So we can start saying, actually, these places we do think that were 
were a lot of leavers and a lot of Labour leavers, the ones that actually change are more likely to be the Labour Party members, uh, the Labour voters. Yeah, I was thinking that the, in terms of the political pressure that this could mean, actually it could harden the Tories' stance against a people's vote, basically because it would be too much of a risk given the ability to, to strike a good deal at this point. But the political pressure in terms of what the Labour Party means, I think it could mean that minds are sharpened about the need for uh, giving delegates and members a, a say on our Brexit policy at conference. Absolutely. I don't think there's any doubt that it would be absolutely wrong for members to not have a vote at conference. I really hope that um, everybody um, sees that and that delegates vote according to their conscience rather than slates, knowing that that is what the majority of Labour Party members want to see. And I also think it will be a tragedy for the Labour Party to absent itself from the most important political issue for two generations. And motions are being passed all across the country in CLPs up and down the land by all wings of the party. I, I make this point. Completely right. I make this point a yeah, lot yeah. about this isn't a right and left issue. Not this is a right and wrong issue, and <laughs> and and the, those of us who who know this is what we need to be doing to help the country, to save the country, to enact all the things that we want to do as Labour Party members, that we need to have a conversation about this. Absolutely. And the reality is that you know the, the scenario that would be fantastic to see played out would be for the party's position to uh, change to a people's vote. For that to start to apply more generally, that to put significant political pressure on for there to be a people's vote, because I don't see how a Tory government could go on if there's a people's vote. Mm. And um, say, for example, that vote were to be remain. I think that would be the most effective way. If you're genuinely interested in precipitating a new general election and that is your focus, then a people's vote doesn't make that less likely. It makes it infinitely more likely. Absolutely. I think we've just run out of time, so we do need to leave it there. But Claire, thank you so much for coming on today. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Every week we ask a political pub quiz question, which is then answered on Friday's show. This week I've shamelessly stole the question from a senior political correspondent that we'll reveal on the review show. I'm asking which serving Labour MP once had the same election agent as previously employed by Philip Snowden. Send your answers to office at progressonline.org.uk or at progressonline on Twitter and you could win a Progress mug. We need to wrap up now, but we've been delighted to have Claire Coghill joining us today. Do send in your questions and comments through Twitter, email or best of all as an iTunes review and we'll respond to them on Friday's show with the best iTunes comment winning a prize. But don't forget to subscribe and write. Thanks for listening. been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music was when in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks to the brilliant caroline crampton who produced this podcast